And all right, let's have you come to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would please. Ephesians 5. Thank you for the good singing tonight. Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll begin at verse number 8. And then we'll uh, be finding a few other verses to keep your Bible handy tonight. Ephesians 5 and beginning at verse number 8. And I'd like to uh, teach slash preach to you tonight about your friends and walking with the right kind of people. In Ephesians 5 and verse number 8, the Bible says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If I could sum up what he's saying there, you are light, now act like it. Now act like it. And before we continue on, I'd like to have a word of prayer, but we'll look a little more about this light and how to walk as a child of light. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together and we'll continue. Father, thank you this evening. What a blessing it is to get to be here. And Lord, we do ask that you'd prepare our hearts now for the seed to fall on the good ground. God, we want it to bring forth fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. And Lord, uh, if there might be some people here tonight struggling with the old crowd, uh, finding it difficult to let go of that old life because of friends that they've had for months and years. Please, God, let them fall so deeply in love with you tonight, so deeply in love that uh, saying goodbye to those old friends won't be so painful. Please help us now. Please speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He says, you were sometimes darkness. Do you remember when that was? When you were in darkness and and you were the personification thereof every thought every word your life was consumed by what the Bible describes as darkness but now I'm so glad for those two words but now as you read through your Bible every time you see that you ought to circle it but now because that's an indication that God stepped in and did something that you couldn't do But now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I I love it. I love it so much that the God of the Bible, the God that sent His Son to die in our place, the God that raised His Son from the dead and gave us eternal life, He is able to take the worst, most wretched sinner, turn that life around into the most godly, holy saint you could find. I love it. I love it. I, I can't help but tell you a story. I, there's a man named David Spurgeon. I got to meet while I was in America. He's the only evangelist that I support financially. I've been supporting him for over 20 years. Brother Spurgeon, he was a biker. He was in a big bike gang in America. And a second in charge over the entire nation. Running drugs from here to there. I mean, he was a rough, rugged dude. He was darkness. The police busted his door down. And they arrested him. He was facing 38 years in prison. He had done some things that to this day he still doesn't speak about. And Brother Spurgeon got saved while he was in prison. A preacher from Ohio kept showing up in the prison once a week. And he said, now listen, gentlemen, you're all going to hell. You need to get saved. <laughs> and then the preacher come back. And this preacher was a, a very gentle kind of guy. He wasn't a rough, rugged character himself. He grew up Christian. He'd never touched alcohol. He'd never said a cuss word. He was a very smooth, gentle kind of guy. And he'd walk in there saying, now you're all going to hell. You need to repent. (laughs) And the first few times, Spurgeon didn't react to it. But finally, the Holy Spirit got a hold of his heart. 
He said, man, I'm going to hell. Now see, Spurgeon, as he was growing up, he had a grandma that used to preach to him, pray for him. And everything grandma said started coming back to his memory. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, and he went to that preacher the next time he came around. He said, preacher, I want to get saved. And that big, rough, rugged man, I mean, his entire, his entire back is a tattoo. I've seen it, the whole, all of his back. He's just a, all the way down to his arms, the whole thing. Rough, rugged man, long hair, big beard. You'd be scared to pieces to meet this man in broad daylight let alone in the dark. He was. He was a scary big dude. One hit and you're seeing Jesus. I mean, it's that, it's that kind of man. And he got saved. And, and bef- after he got saved, he starts reading his Bible and getting cleaned up. He goes back to court. And the judge was a Jew, a lost Jew. And he said, what happened to you? Brother Spurgeon said, I got saved. And he said, well, whatever happened to you needs to happen to a lot more people. You know what the judge sentenced him to? He said, your sentence is you have to go around this country telling people what changed you. He sentenced him to evangelism. And he's preaching to this day. You were darkness, but now you're light. I love it. I love it. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So your life, it should be evidence of what God accepts. You should be able to say this is a life that is pleasing to God. It is a life that is led by the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Not only do you avoid the darkness now, but you reprove the darkness. That is, you say something. You you bring to light that what is going on in the world is wrong. Now, sometimes you can you can reprove people by saying something, right? You can you don't always have to be mean. You don't have to do what that preacher did and say, Now listen here, you're going to hell. There's other ways to do it. You you can approach them in meekness and kindness and so forth. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. I'll give you an example. Venzel, I love you. You know that, right? (laughs) Any illustration that starts with that, you know it's going to be a good one. So so if I'm standing here talking to Venzel and and, and we're having a conversation and (laughs) that's all I do. (laughs) And then I just stand over here you know, now, now, what's Venzel going to think? <gasps> right? I didn't have to say anything. I just had to move. And then if the, if his blessed wife wouldn't do this, she's too nice. But if she also got up and said, Pastor, I got to talk to you. <laughs> and then his brother, his wonderful brother, Vilku, says, hey, guys, can I get in on that conversation? <laughs> And one by one, people start peeling away from Venzel. You know what he's going to start to realize? Something's wrong here. Let me, let me check what's, what seems to be the problem. <sighs> right? Come on, let's be real. That's what we do. You might be a little more smooth about it, you know. <sighs> <laughs> 
all you have to do is separate from his company and he'll get the point. How can I break it to the old crowd that I used to hang out with, that I used to spend all my time with? How can I let them know that I don't approve of that behavior anymore? I was darkness and back then I loved it, but now I got a brand new life. Jesus lives within. He's the light of the world. I want that light to shine. How can I let them know? Just depart. We studied it this morning in Sunday school. Touch not the unclean thing. Depart. So he says in verse number 12, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now several times Paul gives us a list of various sins. Even in verse 3 he did it. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. It's one thing to point out what's going on. We don't need the details. That's what he's saying in verse 12. We don't, we don't need all the shameful details. We just need to say that what's going on there is wrong. In verse 13, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. How is it that we can recognize darkness and something sinful? Because Christ has given us light on that issue. That's how we can see what's, what's happening there. All things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Whatever it is that brings it to your attention, that what you're doing or who you're spending time with is not helping you get closer to God, but even farther away. Whatever it is that gets your attention, maybe that is some other friends not spending time with you, and that gets your attention. Maybe somebody lovingly comes to you and says, I love you, but this is wrong. Maybe you sit through a a Bible sermon, right? Because there's a lot of sermons that don't come from the Bible, but a Bible sermon and you hear something from the Word of God and it pricks your heart and you say, i got to get that right. There's lots of things that can do it. Whatsoever makes manifest is light. In verse 14, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest. Now he's talking to a Christian and he says in other places, they that sleep are of the night and they're of the darkness. So he says, you got, awake thou that sleepest. So some of these Ephesians, they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. They're still living in the darkness even though they're children of light. He says, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Do you know who the dead are in this passage? It's not the physically dead people. When he says arise from the dead, he's talking about the spiritually dead people that you're continuing to fellowship with. That's why in verse 11 he said, Don't have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now again, it would help tremendously if you were here for Sunday school this morning. What fellowship hath light with darkness? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, right? And he says, arise from the dead, so stop hanging out with that old crowd, with those friends that are dragging you down spiritually, and Christ shall give thee light. Now that sounds simple enough. Do you know how hard it is to tell someone, I'm sorry, but I can't keep spending time with you? That strikes fear and terror into the hearts of the strongest of men. I find it interesting, in verse number 8, do you see in verse 8 where he says, Now are ye light in the Lord. Do you see that? Who is light? The people. The the new creatures in Christ, born again people, you're the light. You know what he said in verse 14? If you would break away from the old crowd, I'll give you some friends in the new crowd. Arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. 
He will replace that old, dark fellowship that you have been hanging on to for 10, 15, 20 years, some of you. You break away from that crowd and God will give you some friends that will help you get closer to God, help you get, make some distance in your Christian life and grow. Let's see what he says in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Be careful. Not as fools, but as wise. I want to put those two words in your mind. Fools and wise. He says be careful how you walk. You're supposed to walk as children of light. So you do need to pay attention to what you're doing. You also need to pay attention to who you're doing it with. Don't be foolish. Be careful because the company you keep, it will rub off on you. So he told the Corinthians, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Amen. That's good preaching, Brother Mike. Keep on preaching. Amen, I will. In verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So I want to show you a few verses tonight that talks about this, the wise man and the foolish man and how he's supposed to walk. So let's come to the book of Proverbs, if you would, please. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, and let's get verse number 20. Now, let me quote you a verse that I think you're all very familiar with. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge, you're right, and wisdom. It, 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 there's two different verses that says both things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Dr. Ruckman used to tell it to us like this. Wisdom is knowing what to be afraid of. I like that. I like that. You know what? The most foolish thing you can ever do is get worried about what other people think of you. What good is that? What good is it for you to make changes in your life to please the people around you? Do you realize if that's how you do it, you'll never stop changing? Everybody you meet will have a different idea of what's good. You'll go crazy. You'll go nuts. You'll never know what's going on. Rather, you say, there's one person I want to please. There's one opinion that I'm concerned with, and that is the opinion of the Lord God Almighty. He made me. He made me for his pleasure, and if he's happy, all is well. That's all that matters. In verse number 20, Proverbs 13, verse 20, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. What did Paul say? Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Part of that is choosing your friends carefully. Part of that is knowing who to spend your time with. We were given the advice long ago, and I have seen it play out. It's so true. If you would like to get closer to God, find some people in your vicinity that are closer to God than you are, and then go rub shoulders with them a while. And maybe a little bit of what they got will rub off on you. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by the company they keep. What kind of company do you keep? Who are your friends? Who do you spend time with? How does it rub off on you? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. They say, birds of a feather flock together. That's the old saying. Who do you flock with? 
Who do you hook up with? Who do you spend your time with? Look at Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Do me a favor, just think this through with me as you find it. Think of your best friends. Now think of your best friends and answer this question. Do they fear God? Your best friends. Now here's what we do. Well, I grew up with them and I've known them forever. And they know what I'm thinking and I know what they're thinking and I know everything. I know their favorite rugby team and I know their favorite cricket team, whatever, if, if that's even a thing. I know how much sugar they put in their car. I know everything about them. That doesn't mean they fear God. Say, well, since I've known them so long, they have to be my friend. Is it? Is that how it works? What, what if we did this? We go arm in arm with Jesus. We say, now, now listen, if anybody else wants to be friends with me, just want you to know how it works. I'm walking arm in arm with Jesus all the way to glory. So if you're going to walk with me, just know that you're walking with him too. You know, that'll, that'll thin out the herd real quick. <laughs> Not a whole lot of people be too excited to walk with that third party there. But see, God is light. The Bible says Jesus is the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. So if you're going to walk in the light as he is in the, in the light, you're going to have fellowship with him. But if anybody else wants to fellowship with you, they got to do it in the light. You don't want to share your time and say, well, walk with Jesus a little here and then hook up with the world over here and back and forth. Well, you're going to, it's not going to work. You say, well, I'm doing it. I'm trying to make it work. How does that feel? You comfortable with that? How about we ask Jesus if he's offended by that? See, one of those friends is going to get offended and you're going to have to make a choice. Now guys, I, I got people that I know from a long, long time ago as well. It's not as if I've never had to make this sacrifice. Think of your best friends and now think, do they help me get closer to God or do they help me uh, feel comfortable in the world? Do they help me feel comfortable about my sin? Do they love me enough to tell me when I'm backsliding? Or do they pat me on the back and say, don't worry about it, you're fine right where you're at? You want some friends that will help you get closer to God. Let me show you what you don't want. Proverbs 1 verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. Do you see the we and the us in that? That's what the sinner will do. Come on, let's go have a good time. Be one of us. Join in. This is going to be great. We'll get everything we want. Solomon's advice to his son, verse 15, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. What a, what a great little illustration. Which, what bird, knowing that a trap is right there, would purposely fly into it? The bird would go around it. Guys, the trap is set. The world will dress itself up and make itself sound alluring and bring you in and seduce you and say, come on, let's have a great time. Let's live it up. 
They don't tell you about all the destruction and the, the payment for that sin that's going to come down the road. They don't tell you about that part. But they say, come on, let's have a good time. Let's go find everything we want. Solomon says, walk not down the way with them. So when these sinners come around and, and in verse 10, entice you, how do you think you're going to turn them away? You're going to have to say no. And I tell you what, it's easy when you're sitting in church on a Sunday night, hearing, hearing the Bible preach, say, that's right, I'm going to tell them no. You wait until you have five or six of them right in front of you. And they're all saying, come on, man, don't be chicken. Come on. Are you a sissy? Come on. Oh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Go, go, on, go home and cry. <laughs> They start making fun of you, and that's why I say even the strongest of men can buckle under that pressure. He says, son, don't, don't consent. Don't give in. Look at Proverbs 17. Popularity is just a trap. It's a trap, and every trap, you have to have some bait in it. Every mouse trap, you put the cheese in there, the peanut butter, or whatever it is, and that, that mouse thinks that somebody's left a gift for him. Until they, until they take a, a little bit too much of a bite, and ba-bam, that trap comes down, and boy, now it's got you. I remember when I was in sixth grade, I must have been 12 at the time. I was a chubby kid. I didn't have any friends. I, I, I was just awkward, in, introvert, didn't know how to have friends, and I got so fed up with it, couldn't make a friend for any. I just could I tried, but couldn't do it. I paid a kid. I gave him a dollar a day for eight days. I kid you not. Eight dollars. I told my dad that I was going to eat breakfast at school instead of home, so he gave me a dollar a day to eat breakfast at school. And instead of eating breakfast, I gave that kid the dollar. Do you know how hard it is for a fat kid to give away his breakfast money? I really wanted a friend. I really wanted a friend. On the eighth day, that kid said, Stop giving me money, man. I'll be your friend. It was a pity. It was out of mercy. He said, okay, fine. He didn't want to be my friend, but I paid him eight bucks. <laughs> so you know what I got for that? I got my childhood best friend. Him and I were best friends for the next five, six years. You know what he taught me? Every cuss word I ever learned. Everything bad I knew about women. All of it he taught me. I told you a couple weeks ago, my dad only said one cuss word. My whole life growing up, I heard him say one cuss word. My dad didn't watch filthy movies. I didn't hear that stuff growing up. But at the age of 12, this new quote-unquote best friend sat down and said, hey, Mike, have you heard this word? Do you know this word? And we went through all the words, and he taught me all the meanings. See, brilliant me, I thought, ooh, I want to be cool. I'll use the words that all the, all the cool kids are using. So I sat down, stupid, stupid me. I sat down and wrote them all down and put the names with or put, put the words with names of people in my class. This person is a this, that person is a that, and wrote it all out. The teacher is this, the principal's that. Brilliant. Chubby, dumb kid. <laughs> so I ran to school that day, and I said, Jeremy, Jeremy, look, look, look at this. I thought, he is going to be so impressed, and I am going to be so accepted by the in crowd. Do you know how powerful that need is for approval and acceptance oh that's strong and the devil knows that I handed him that letter and Jeremy took it and he went oh, oh, 
Whoa, oh, man, oh, dude, whoa, that's, hey, everybody. And I went, ooh, what? Check this out. Look what Mike wrote. And I thought, oh, no one else even knows that I exist, and now they're all going to hate me. And he ran around that, we were in the lunchroom before class started that day, and he ran around and said, look, look, there's your name, there's your name. And they're all, look at, man. The last person to get it was the teacher. She grabbed that letter and said, oh, come here, young man. Took me by the hand straight to the principal's office. Mr. Walker sat me down. And this was back in the day in America when they could still paddle a child. Give you a lecker hiding, man. And I saw that paddle hanging on the, on the wall. Now, some of you ums, you'll, you'll remember this, right? You ums and tanis. Back in the day when they had that, that big, it looked like a, a cricket bat. That's what it looked like, but with holes in it. You know why they drill holes in it? So that when you swing, you don't get any wind resistance. You get a faster swing, and you can hear it coming. Oh, that thing would sing to you while it's coming in. Here I come, it's going to hurt. Painful. I saw that thing on the wall just laughing at me. Mr. Walker read the letter, and he said, No, Mike, I've never seen you in this office before. How long have you been coming to this school? I said, sir, I started in kindergarten. I've been there seven years. He never even knew I existed. He said, what got into you? I learned all these words and I just thought everybody would think it's funny. I just wanted to be accepted. He said, Mike, I don't have any choice. We're going to have to call your dad. He called my dad. He said, Mr. Flick, I have your son here in the office. He has something he wants to tell you. And he handed me the letter. He said, go ahead and read it for your dad. Man. You know what? I would have rather him just start hitting me. <laughs> I read that letter to my dad. Oh, and I, the tears were already coming down my face. My dad, who's never, never used those words in my presence, he was so disappointed. After I got done, I handed the phone back to the principal. Mr. Walker said, Mr. Flick, do I have your permission to paddle your son? And I could hear my dad through the phone. Yes, you do. <laughs> I know what that means. I'm going to get one in the office, and I'm getting another one when I get home. I know what that means. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'll never forget it. I had on khaki pants and a purple shirt. I still remember to this day because he hit me so hard, my khaki pants stuck to my butt. And because I was chubby, I, I always pulled on my shirt so nobody could see how big and fat I was. And I walked into the classroom with pulling on my shirt, pulling it down because I was hurting so bad, crying. <laughs> I learned a good lesson that day. Boy, it just doesn't, it doesn't pay to try to impress everyone. <laughs> now, it's too bad that lesson didn't sink all the way in because it, it hit me <laughs> that day. But it wasn't until I got saved that I fully, fully left behind the opinion of the world and said, I just don't care what you think anymore. Proverbs 17, verse 17. The wrong kind of friends, they'll get you in trouble, man, trouble. But the right kind of friends, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times. That's one way you know he's a real friend. At all times, not just on the good times. But even when you're going through troubles, even when you've messed up and made a horrible mistake, a real friend will help you correct the mistake. 
It won't run off and forsake you just because you messed up. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let me tell you the best kind of friend you'll get, a friend that is a brother. You get a saved friend. Do you understand what I mean? You get a saved friend. Do you know that Jesus Christ is our older brother? He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Amen. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We have that in Christ. And, and in the body of Christ, you can also find that. You'll find some other saved people that can be the best of friends for you. You need those. Guys, you need those. Let me tell you about a few that have helped me. Right after I got saved, Brother Freddie, he's the pastor that led me to Christ. He was going through a messy divorce at the time, and he's a little bit older than me and Christina, obviously, but he allowed me and Christina to come to the house every night. Seven days a week, we were at the pastor's house. We'd, fold, we'd knock off from work, go straight to his house, fold tracks, pray with him, go out for two or three hours every night passing out tracks, listening to him witness to people. Pretty soon we learned how we were witnessing to people. We'd come back 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. We'd sit around for another hour talking about all the stories from that evening, all the people we talked to, and we'd have sometimes 15, 20 people saved in one night, three of us. Oh, we had a wonderful time, wonderful time. Brother Freddie, one night, we got in, he had a, a, van, a church van. We got in that van, and he, Brother Freddie had been in this part of town longer than us, so he knew what was going on in various spots, and we drove past a bank. It was about 8 o'clock at night, and there was a bench in front of the bank. And we're driving past the bank, and, and, and he said, Hey, Brother Flick, look at there. There's somebody sitting on that bench. Hurry up, man. Go get them before they leave. I said, Okay. He hit the brakes. I threw open the side door of that van, and I take off running. 8 o'clock at night, I am going to scare the living fire out of this man. But he needs to get saved. He's on his way to hell sitting there by, on the bench. I... I slow down as I get to him, so about here to the whiteboard. Uh, sir, and, and he's, he's facing the other way. He can't see me. Sir, and he won't turn around. He's just sitting there relaxed, you know. And I, I, Sir, well, this is strange. He's not answering me. Sir, <laughs> sir, he won't move. I thought, man, this guy's rude. <laughs> sir? And it's dark. It's 8 o'clock at night. There's just a very small light from the ATM machine that's on. And I, sir, and I come with a gospel track. I said, sir, I just want to leave you something to read. And I finally get to where I, I'm at his side. It's a statue. <laughs> My pastor sent me to witness to a statue. And now I can honestly say I'll witness to anything. <laughs> Living or not, doesn't matter. I'll give it the gospel. So I did. I left a gospel track in its statue hand. <laughs> I put the track there so whoever walks past the next day will pick that track up. Those are good days. Brother Freddie, one night, he said, Brother Flick, let's, let's pray before you go home. I said, all right. It was about 11, 11.30 at night. And we started praying, and he prayed, and then I prayed. And we got done. And he looked up at me, and he said, Whew. Brother, that was good. I said, yeah, it was. He said, let's do it again. I said, amen, let's do it again. So I looked over at Christina and bless her heart. It was late. We were both tired. 
She was conked out on the couch. And Brother Freddie and I, we just went back and forth till five in the morning. Oh, it was so sweet. Now there's a friend that taught me. He helped me fall in love with winning souls, even statues. There's a friend that taught me something about prayer. You got a friend like that? You have any friends that will help you throw open the van door and say, let's go get a soul? Anybody in your life that is that excited that they can fire you up like that? Well, thank God for that. I got down to Bible school the next year. I met some guys. They were in my class. We graduated together. Brother Andy Hearn, missionary to Nepal. Brother Craig Fitzgerald, missionary to Mongolia. Missionary in China. Boy, I got to spend some time with these guys, not as much as I would have liked. Brother Andy and Brother Craig, we all worked together for a short while. For a few months, we built fences together. I was the worst fence maker you've ever seen. Good gravy. I'm, I'm clearing down a tree line. I got a little saw, clearing down some tree branches, and I about sawed my thumb off. I just, just took, took half the thumb away. I thought, ah. And then a few weeks later, I, w- I was putting up a, a brace on the fence post so you could put the, you know, put the two by four in it. I was tacking up the brace. Well, that brace has a sharp edge to it. Instead of hitting the nail, I hit my finger onto the brace. So, oh man, that was a blessing. <laughs> what, what, what's great about that story is the fence we were building, the house we were working at, the owners were Mormons. And uh, I don't know if you know much about them, but that, that's, that's just a cult. Well, Brother Craig, Brother Andy, and myself, we had been praying for the last two days about a way to get into their house and witness to them. And now that I nailed my finger to the fence post, the next place for me to go was in their house so they could bandage me up. And I had a chance to go inside and witness to them. <laughs> so I came back out and said, guys, God answered our prayers. <laughs> On our lunch break, all we would talk about for the entire 30 minutes was what it was going to be like when we got to the mission field. Because we all knew by that point, I'm heading to Africa, Mongolia, Nepal, we all knew. Brother called me up, he said, Brother Flick, you want to pray? He had a stuttering problem. Now, the strangest thing is he speaks fluent Mandarin Chinese now without a stutter. It's the wildest thing, but in English, but but, but, but bless his heart, (laughs) it doesn't work. He said, you want to pray? And I got the greatest wife in the world, so I told her, I said, honey, I'm going to head out for a while. I'll be back in a little while. And I went out that evening, and we just, I got to his house, and we just spent four hours there on the floor, just prayed. We didn't say a word. We just got down there and started talking to God in our hearts. And man, the presence of God showed up. And we just stayed there worshiping God for the next four hours. You got some friends like that? You can take 30 minutes and all you can talk about is the Lord day in and day out. Got some friends like that? I am under no illusions. I didn't get to this point in my life because I've got it figured out. God has strategically put people in my life that have helped me get where I'm at. And I trust that God will continue to put the necessary people in my life to help me get closer to Him. Many of you know Brother Mike Dobbins. Him and I have been best of friends for years. Do you know what he did when Christina and I and the kids 
came to Africa the first time? We flew into Lusaka, capital of Zambia. I left Christina, Megan, and Caleb in Lusaka with his wife and kids. Brother Mike, now he's got his own ministry. He's got his own church. He bought a plane ticket, flew from Zambia to Malawi with me, rented a vehicle, drove me all over Malawi because I don't know how to drive on the left side of the road or the wrong side of the road. I don't know how to do that. He drove everywhere. You need a PhD to drive in Africa. You know that, right? You know what the PhD is? Pothole dodger. <laughs> PhD. He told me, he said, Brother Flick, don't try to drive here. You don't have a PhD. You're not a pothole dodger. <laughs> so he drove everywhere. He spent an entire week taking me up and down Malawi, helping me find all the necessary goods, helped me find a house, got me to a real estate, everything I need to get set up. Then flew back to Lusaka with me. Then in his baki, took me and my family and everything we own, packed it in the back of his baki, drove from Lusaka to Lalongwe, about 14 hours, got us into the country, helped us get all of our stuff set, set up, and then turned around a few hours later and drove all the way back to Lusaka all by himself. Boy, that's a friend. Never asked a dime, never asked for anything in return. He did it just because he wanted to be a blessing. You got some friends like that? go out of their way to help you with the work of God. Now, see, for some of you, if, if you say, hey, listen, I got, a, I got a vacation down in George. I got a vacation at the coast. You want to come? Oh, they'll make time for that. <laughs> say, listen, I want to move into the bush, into the heart of Africa and win souls. Eh, I'm kind of busy. Don't know if I got time to help with that. Brother Dobbins, one day he called me up and he said, Brother Flick, do you mind coming to Zambia? I'll buy the ticket. I want to fly you over so that you can witness to one family in the backside of Lusaka. They don't speak Chibemba, they speak Chinyanjan. Chinyanjan Chiche was about the same language. He said, I'd really like to reach that family. Guys, it was just a family. They, they, they weren't big shots. They weren't popular in the country. It was just some people that he gave a track to and he couldn't reach because he didn't speak their language. So he bought me a plane ticket, flew me into the country just to witness to him. You know, having friends like that, that'll help you stay focused. Brother Dobbins came down a few months ago and I pulled him aside in the office. And uh, I, I played it up because him and I, we have a lot of fun together. So I... I I made him think that he was in trouble. I said, Brother Dobbins, I need to talk to you in private, please. And Letitia looked at him, that's his wife, looked at him and said, and I said, Letitia, don't worry, I, we'll let you in on it later, but I, I just, I need, I need to have a talk with him now. And I, I put on my best serious face I could. And he got into the office, I said, Brother, have a seat, this will be tough for me to say. And he said, I, I, Brother, just tell me. And he gets nervous real fast. So I, I, I pause for effect, you know, and I just let it sink in. He said, I, he didn't even want to sit down. He was nervous. And I said, Brother Dobbins, I've been thinking about this long and hard. I've been praying about this, and, and I really need to tell you this. You make me a better Christian. And he went, oh. <laughs> and then he just started crying. And he said, Brother, that might be the kindest thing anyone's ever told me. That's a friend. Anytime I'm around him, he makes me a better Christian. He makes me want to love Jesus more. He makes me want to be a better preacher. He makes me want to be a better soul winner. He makes me want to pray more. He makes me want to study my Bible more. You got some friends like that? Do they add light to your life or darkness? Do they help you become more wise 
or foolish. I hesitate to go through all the friends, right? There are too many to name. Some of, some of them are sitting in this room tonight. And just for the sake of awkwardness, I'm not going to point you out, but there is one that I will point out. She's used to it by now. But my wife is my very, very best friend. And we get to help each other, hug each other, share our lives together, laugh together, cry together. And that woman helps me in every possible way imaginable. When God said, make the woman a help meet for the man, she's the rib. God knew that I could not accomplish anything in this life without the, without the help of that woman. Oh, thank God for a good wife. You men in this room tonight, if you're married to a wife that loves God, go home tonight and just spend a few minutes just thanking God profusely. Do you know how many men would like to do more for God but have a wife that holds them back? And the same is true the other way. There's a whole lot of ladies that would love to get closer to God and have a husband that's just not worth shooting. If you have a spouse that loves the Lord, oh, thank God for that tonight. Thank God for that friend. The stories about my wife being a friend to me are just too numerous, but there is one that's worth telling. After three weeks, it, and this is an apt description, three weeks of living hell on my survey trip in Malawi. I told you about it recently. It was so bad. When I got back to America, I couldn't walk. I had to have surgery to fix my eardrum. I was in bad shape. And Christina helped me out of the car, helped me get up the steps into that little tin can of a house we lived in at the time, this little mobile home. She helped me lay down and she kissed me on the forehead and she said, honey, I'm so sorry you had to go through all that, but as soon as you're ready to go back, I'm ready. Now, there's a wife that helps me step it up. She, she raises the bar. You got some friends like that? Got a spouse like that? You, you single folks in here tonight, you want to choose the right one? Choose one that'll help you get closer to God. Choose one that'll help you walk in the light. That's, one, that's a decision you'll never regret. I want to show you two more verses and then we'll head to the house. Can I ask you to come to 2 Chronicles chapter 20? 2 Chronicles. That's right after 1 Chronicles. Does that help? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, the context here is not what we're aiming for, but uh, I just want to show you one part of verse 7. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 7. Jehoshaphat's praying and he says, Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? And gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever. Jehoshaphat's talking to God and he says, Abraham was your friend. Now, the apostle James picks up on this. And in James chapter 2, he actually points this out. That Abraham is called the friend of God. Only person in the Bible to have that title. Isn't that an honorable thing to say that this man was a friend of God. You know, you can't be friends with someone if you don't have anything in common. If you don't do anything together, if you don't talk a lot. 
Abraham was God's friend. If I can encourage you tonight to do anything, aim to have Jesus Christ as the closest friend, that friend that, that sticks closer than a brother. And the closer you get to him, I promise you, it's like magnetism, he will attract the right friends into your life and push away the wrong friends if you will just concentrate on fellowshipping with him. Make that friendship your chief goal and all the other friendships will fall into place like they should. Come to James chapter 4 and we'll finish here. This, this verse doesn't need a lot of explaining but it does make the issue very clear. James chapter 4 verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There's one simple thing to take away from that and, and that is you need to choose who you want to be friends with. But you can't have Jesus in one arm and the world in the other. What did Jesus say? No man can serve two masters. You'll love the one, hate the other, hold to the one and despise the other. You're going to have to let go of someone. Don't let it be Jesus. Hang on to him with everything you got. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just for a moment, Caleb will play something softly. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I understand saying goodbye to old friends is a tough thing to do. I get that. It is a sacrifice. And somebody will get offended. You'll have to do some explaining. But it will be worth it. You may not get to see them as much, or talk with them as much, but you'll get to see more of Jesus and talk with Him more. Some have come to the altar. Maybe you need to come and say, God, please help me. Give me strength. I know, I know I need to say goodbye to that old crowd. I've just... God, it's so hard. I care about them. I don't know how to say it. Lord, give me strength. Need some help with that? Some of you might want to come and say, God, thank you for surrounding me with good friends God has put some of you in my life and you have been such a blessing such a, a help in time of need you have been the manifestation of God's grace you are an extension of God's hand don't take that lightly we sang it tonight, yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some other to win. In that second verse we sang, shun evil companions, bad language disdain. 
God's name hold in reverence, nor take it in vain. Shun evil companions. That's good advice. Ask God tonight to give you courage. And this week you approach that person if you have to and say, Sir, ma'am, friend, I love you. But I love the Lord even more. And I'm not trying to hurt you. I care about you. But I can't keep doing those things with you like we've been doing. I just can't. And then ask them if you can tell them why you've made that decision. And then you will be the friend that is helping them get closer to God. Give these a moment to pray. Christian life can get a little bit lonely sometimes. The world will send you friend after friend, but they're all temporary. You'll find a few in the body of Christ. You'll get to share eternity with them. Those are the friendships you want to work at. You want to seek after. Father, thank you tonight for allowing us to take a few moments to think about this. And Lord, I want to thank you that you are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You love at all times and you were born for adversity. Lord, they called you a friend of sinners. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Lord, you didn't drop your standards either. You didn't. But you made it possible so that we could be clean and get close to you. Please, God, give us, us, Lord, all of us, give us courage to take the stands that we need to take to keep the friends we need to keep. God, help us. Help us to approach them in love, but also in honesty, truth. Lord, give these folks the courage this week to break, a, to break away from that old crowd. Let them draw nigh to you, and you, we know that you'll draw nigh to them. Father, thank you for a good day here in your house. Thank you for letting us hear from you. Lord, would you please... Not let the birds of the air snatch the seed away. Let it sink in deep. Let us carry it with us the entire week and do something about it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.